Hello, mamas, and welcome to the Mother Her podcast, the personal development podcast for mums ready to lead their life and their children bravely, confidently, and from a place of deep self-fulfillment, health, and happiness. I'm your host, Jade Abbey, motherhood empowerment coach, founder of the Motherhood community, and together we are going to redefine motherhood. In this podcast, I bring to you practical tools, inspiring teachings from global experts, insights into my own personal journey, as well as some good old humorous, honest mum-to-mum chats. So if you're ready to take on the journey to empowered motherhood, join me as I take that journey with you. Grab yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this episode. This is episode 19 and today on the Motherhead podcast, we are joined by fellow mama, Dr. Rebecca Ray. Beck is a clinical psychologist, author and speaker. Over the course of almost two decades of practice, Beck has helped thousands of big picture thinking people through courses, consultations and transformative content live a life that is fulfilling, unapologetic and free. Whilst her technique is science-backed, her approach sees her delivery both hard and hard truths within an ethos of self-kindness first, always. Beck is an author of five books, including Be Happy, The Art of Self-Kindness, The Universe Listens to Brave, Setting Boundaries, and her most recent book, Small Habits for a Big Life. She lives in the soul-fed hills of the Sunshine Coast with her great loves of her life, her wife, Nissa, son, Bennett, and their three fur babies. In this episode, we delve into the foundations of her latest book, Small Habits for a Big Life. Beck shares with us what it is that keeps us stuck from making the habits and changes we so deeply want to make and how we can get ourselves out of those self-sabotaging cycles that hold us back. We talk about the power behind starting with small micro habits and how you can start to integrate these into your daily lives. Lastly, Beck shares with us how she prioritizes her own well-being habits into her life as a mother and the flow and benefits that can come from this. So without further ado, let's bring on the beautiful Dr. Rebecca Ray. Hello, Beck. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's an absolute honor to have you join us. And I'm really looking forward to diving into this topic with you around how to create small habits to make those bigger changes that we want for our lives. And we're really basing this episode around your most recent book that you published. Was it back in June? Uh, It was released on the 28th of June, I think. Yeah, it's an absolute incredible book. And I, I really feel that you have this ability to make something that can feel quite challenging and and overwhelming feel that little bit more simplified and and achievable. Thank you. That's that's always my aim. My aim is always to um, take what are sometimes complex psychological topics and translate them into language that the layperson can understand. Because if you don't quite understand what the concept is, how can you apply it to your daily life? So I'm always trying to kind of bring the abstract down from the rafters and make it more grounded. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and it's so true. You know, it's one thing knowing what we have to do. I I feel like the majority of us know about habits and and know that we need those good habits but implementing those into our daily lives is something completely different and a lot more challenging um 
And I really feel this is something that is so helpful to mums also. It's something that I talk a lot about on Mother Her because I know for me as a mother, having those tools to be able to like integrate micro habits into an already very, very busy schedule has been something that has really helped me, I guess, prioritize my own personal growth in motherhood and make it Mm. feel that little bit less daunting and and overwhelming. So I can't wait to get stuck into this with you. But first, I would like to just start with you and a little bit more about your personal journey, your, your journey with motherhood and what has really led you down this path of supporting and coaching people into more life fulfillment? Those are potentially different questions. So my motherhood journey is different to my work journey. Um, And I guess I arrived in both places unexpectedly. So, um, oh, well, I mean, having a baby when you've got a wife is not an unexpected thing. Those things don't happen as an accident. But um, I never wanted to be a mum. Well, actually, I did when I was about 10 and I was obsessed with babies as a kid. Um, But then I changed my mind in adolescence and was very clear that I never wanted to have a child. Um, And mainly that was around not being able to trust myself to uh, raise a small person when I didn't actually, I actually felt the scars of previous trauma would get in the way of me being able to be a healthy mother. Mm. And then um, I met Nissa and uh, essentially was embraced in a healthy love perhaps for the first time in my life and um, possibilities then opened up about um, what if I could, if I could be in a relationship that was healthy and just became so expansive because of that love, then should we um, consider having a baby? Um, And we both decided to ask our 80 year old selves, would we regret not trying? And, the answer was let's just try and uh, the outcome was not necessarily what we were super attached to. So if it didn't work, we would have been okay. We would have just gone and lived um, lives much like we do now where we create work and put it out into the world, just not with a a little person by our side. But it worked and um, we now have Bennett who is four and a half as we speak and he is the most spectacular little human I've ever met. Obviously, I'm slightly biased. Um, (laughs) But then my arrival here to doing this work was a result of also something quite unexpected in that I became incredibly burnt out um, Mm. in clinical practice. So I thought I would be in clinical practice until I was 70. Um, I don't know where I pulled that number from, but I honestly thought I would just be doing that for my entire career as a psychologist. And I ignored the signs of burnout for years until my attempts to fix it um, just continued failing and I ended up getting to the point where burnout made the decision for me and I had to walk away. So I was left with a task of having to somehow recreate my entire career. Like I had to, I, I thought I would just go and get a job at Woolies. Like I honestly did not know what to do with my life and Um, I was in a really vulnerable position because I wanted to keep working in psychology. Um, But I was like, how do I pay my bills but not see patients? Like how does that even work? And um, so I decided to put my message out online and um, 
at the time I didn't even have a Facebook profile. I was so anti-social media. <laughs> um, I still am really. Like I, I don't use it personally at all. I only use it for work. Um, and I slowly taught myself how to build an audience online. Still knew nothing about selling online or anything like that. And um, as a result of building an audience, I was approached by an American publisher who DM'd me on Instagram, would you believe, and asked right. if I wanted to write a book. And uh, I always wanted to write when I was little, but it wasn't a real job. And so uh, I was just thought, I actually thought it was spam. I thought, who on earth, like, just comes up? Who who has a message that says, do you want to write a book? Like, anyway, she rang me from New York and it was legit. And my first book was published um, uh, the just a couple of weeks prior to Bennett being born, actually. And um, so from that, I kind of uh, got an agent and then ended up uh, being taken on by Pan McMillan in Australia, who remained my publisher today. We've done four books together and I'm currently writing my fifth, well, it's my fifth book with Pan McMillan, but I sit my sixth book overall. Um, so now I write books and I put content out online so that people can access psychological concepts to be able to live unapologetically and free. I, I'm really deeply passionate about helping people live fulfilling lives on their own terms. And that's what I do now is I mentor entrepreneurs and I um, offer uh, education online for people to be able to access the concepts that I used to teach patients every single day and, um, but, you know, therapy is a privilege. Not everyone can go and see a therapist. And certainly in Australia at the moment, there are waiting lists for therapists that are just ridiculously long. So um, I'm in a position where I try to take that knowledge that I've got and offer it in all sorts of ways and methods, but also price points so that people can actually access it. Mm, that's incredible. And what an, an amazing achievement. That's incredible. And crazy that this publisher reached out to you like it was 100 meant to be <laughs> honestly I thought it was crazy she had a actually she has a really unusual name as well yeah just like this is man yeah. but I googled her and I found her on LinkedIn and I said to Nissa like this is surely this is no <laughs> this is not happening um but yeah it was one of those things and that's why sometimes people come to me and go how do I get published I'm like I don't know. Apparently, just hope that someone just reaches out your, yeah, just one hope day. Someone, <laughs> hope someone slides into your DMs one day. Um, but I have since learned more about the publishing industry. It's it's a it's a valuable process. I don't like writing, which might sound ridiculous for someone who writes for a living, but I actually don't like the process. My brain is super lazy, and um, mm. the thought like I'm writing my next book now and. It's as big as setting boundaries. And um, yeah. honestly, every day I just sit down and go, shit, like, I don't know, <laughs> this is too hard. But I like the outcome because in the process of being forced to write a book, which I kind of am once I sign a contract, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. my way of like that's forcing myself to sign it. I'm yeah, that's right. I sign it, but I think about it later. Uh, <laughs> later's here now, so I have to think about it. But um, I like the outcome of being able to go, okay, my A, I've thought through that solution and I've packaged it in a book where I can take you through every single concept you need to know. Because mm -hmm. as you know, social media is actually super reductive. So you get these bite-sized concepts that have 
there's no room to give nuance to those yeah. concepts. There's no room to actually take someone through everything they need to know to be able to overcome that particular problem or that particular um, challenge that they're having in their lives. And so the book is where I can do that because yeah. I often get asked these questions on social media and I, I will actually say in comments, I don't have the space to answer that. Like I'm not <laughs> going to... I'm not going to patronize you by giving mm. you a two sentence answer when actually the proper answer would take me an hour to talk through because you yeah. need to understand that there are so many ingredients to this and it's always dependent, um, mm. which is pretty much my answer to everything. You know, people ask me something about some kind of psychological concept. My answer is, well, it depends because there's so many things that feed into it. So yeah. the books help me to clarify that it depends part you know and I can then encourage people to go and pick up the book and read for themselves and then apply it to their own lives which yeah. is so much better than just commenting on a post on social media and you're right isn't such a valuable tool I absolutely love books and they never age they're always there you can go back to them when you yeah. want and there's just something so tangible you know about having that physical book there and for me yeah. anyway I know everyone learns differently um, yeah now Saying that, I'd really love to um, delve into the foundations of your book, Small Habits mm -hmm. for Big Life. And I know your book firstly explores what it is that actually keeps us um, stuck and from making mm -hmm. those changes we want to make and, and know we need to make, um, but those self-sabotaging patterns keep us from making. So I would love for you to talk us through firstly what self-sabotage is how it works and, and how we can get ourselves stuck in that sort of self-sabotage cycle. Self-sabotage is essentially avoidance, but it's avoidance on steroids. So we all avoid, and it's really important that we don't pathologize small amounts of avoidance because brains are actually wired to avoid discomfort. So there will be times where you think, I honestly can't record a podcast episode today. I actually did that last week. I, I missed a podcast episode because I tried to record and honestly what was coming out of my mouth was embarrassing. I was like, I literally can't do this. I cannot create an episode that makes sense right now, so I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, that was a conscious choice. I wasn't subconsciously avoiding because it was uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I'm not feeling all that well. I'm not making the sense I need to make to get my message across. I'm going to delay doing this. Now, you might also have times where you think, oh, I just can't mop the floor right now because the kid's going to walk all over it anyway because it's the weekend. I'll do it on you know, Monday and instead I'm going to watch Netflix right now. That little bit of avoidance is not hurting you. It's not going to hurt your, it's not going to stop your life from going in the direction that you want it to go. <laughs> but when we um, habitually avoid, when we habitually avoid the discomfort that is actually going to help us do hard things that shape our lives in the way that we want to shape them, that help us create the life we desire to live, then that's self-sabotage. So you can think of self-sabotage as basically anything that you do that gets in the way of what you should be doing, what you wish you were doing instead. So we're talking about things like the most common one is procrastination, right? And we all procrastinate. So <laughs> again, I'm talking about procrastination on steroids. I'm talking about procrastination where you said five years ago that you were going to start your art studio when you're still having the same conversation this year, but there's no art studio on the horizon, right? 
it's just procrastination, procrastination. But we can also have any other ways that we actually avoid pain. So perfectionism is a way that we avoid pain. Um, Staying attached to mistakes is a way that we avoid pain. Negative self-talk helps us avoid pain, would you believe, despite the fact that all of these things actually create more discomfort in the long term. What they're doing in the short term is helping us to avoid the discomfort right now. And so the cycle of self-sabotage looks like um, you think about the task that you need to do and then discomfort shows up. So you think like for me, I'm writing book number six. Um, This happens to me every day. I sit down (laughs) and I'm like, shit, I just can't. (laughs) No, no, I've got to explain this concept and no. And so my brain will automatically go, oh, I wonder what um, is happening on social media. But my phone is not allowed in my office when I'm writing. So then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll open a tab on um, and check the news sites. But I close down. my browser so I can't actually access it while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So my brain does everything that it possibly can to try to avoid. And if I let it do that, then eventually we would get to a deadline and there would be no book written, which would be really problematic for both me and my publisher. But what's actually happening in the short term in that with that little circuitry that's going, let's avoid this hard thing because I don't want to think I don't want to think through to be able to write that paragraph in a way that makes sense. So I'm then procrastinating. I'm looking for something else that can relieve my discomfort in that moment. And then when I do relieve it, let's say that I could access my phone and I scroll on social media for like two minutes and two minutes turns into two hours, maybe not two hours, I get bored easily, but um, (laughs) maybe an hour. What's happening is, I then get a dopamine hit in my brain. Now, dopamine is a neurotransmitter in our brain that's responsible for rewarding behavior. It makes us feel good and it marks the behavior as worth repeating. So when I reach for my phone, as I'm trying to write, but writing's too hard, so I then immediately go to a distraction, my brain goes, oh, thank goodness, we did not need to address that problem in that paragraph. Now, it's not doing that consciously. It's not saying, yay, chapter six is not written. Woohoo. Um, subconsciously, though, it's going, oh, that worked. So the distraction of picking up my phone and not doing the thing, not actually writing, works. My brain is saying that feels better than having to sit with the discomfort to get the thing written. But then what happens is after that, now, if I do that enough, what happens is I then start to feel guilty. I can feel overwhelmed because I'm getting closer and closer to the deadline and the book's not being written. And so then I've got a whole heap of emotional discomfort that I didn't want, but has been created as a result of my self-sabotage. So guilt, anxiety, overwhelm, um, perhaps even frustration with myself because I'm not doing the thing that needs to be done. Mm. And then because there's, Um, that discomfort, then my brain wants to sabotage that discomfort. So my brain is seeking Mm. relief. This is how we get into the cycle. Your brain is going, oh, now I've got all this gross emotional discomfort. Now what can I do to relieve that? Maybe I'll go to the fridge. Maybe I'll um, go and binge some Netflix. Maybe I'll go and clean the house. I'm very much a procrastinator. The house is never so clean as when I need to write a book. 
Um, so I'll go and convince myself that I'm doing something productive because the house is clean, but actually it's not the thing I need to be doing. And around and around and around we go. Just constantly just chasing that dopamine hit again, essentially. <clears throat> the guilt's come yeah. up and then that dopamine to relieve and it's that cycle. Yeah. So it it is that as long as you don't interrupt it. So the cycle can be interrupted. Um, which is obviously what I wrote the book on, how we actually interrupt that cycle yeah. so that your life doesn't end up being defined by self-sabotage. But what can happen is sometimes self-sabotage shows up in only one part of our life, but not in others. So you might be amazing with your health habits. Um, my personal trainer is like this. This is why we hate her. Actually, we love her, but um, she causes me lots of, pain, lots of pain. So sometimes I do hate her. She... For her, exercise is just no, it, there's just no um, leeway there. She gets up first thing in the morning and goes for a run or she goes to a training session or whatever. Mm. That's actually one of her ways of coping. So um, her when she gets stressed, she actually exercises more, not less. Mm. So her exercise is amazing, right? Her health habits are amazing. She meal preps without thinking and yet... What if we have a discussion with her about raising her prices? No, no, she's not available for that discussion. Mm. No, that feels too uncomfortable because, oh, she might upset someone and what happens if some clients leave and, oh, my goodness, and here she is struggling to pay her bills, mm. right? So in her work life, there's some self-sabotage around owning the value that she provides in her services and not then being able to put her prices up, which would help her live more comfortably financially. Right. But for other people, it's the opposite, right? They can't get up and go for a walk in the morning because that just feels too overwhelming. Their brain is going, no, 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 no. And yet their work lives are shining. You know, they're doing really well. They're going from one achievement to the next, et cetera, et cetera. So your form of self-sabotage may not be the same as somebody else's form of self-sabotage. But the way we know it's self-sabotage is because it's causing you long-term discomfort for that short-term relief. Mm. So it's so interesting, isn't it? How much it varies for each individual, you know? Yeah. Something so easy for one person, so difficult for the for the next. So you make reference in the book to the elephant and the rider. Would you be able to give our listeners a little insight into, I guess, what you mean by that and and, and what it means when it comes to changing the brain? Sure. Um, first of all, this is not my metaphor. I wish it was. Um I'm not that great. This metaphor belongs to a psychologist called Jonathan Haidt. And um, he popularized this metaphor to explain the parts of the brain that we're interested in when it comes to avoidance of discomfort. Now, the elephant represents what we call the limbic system in science speak. Um, but we could call that your impulsive brain or your emotional brain. And the size of the elephant represents the relative influence of the limbic system over our behaviour. Now, the limbic system is fully wired in place by the time we're 12 months old, would you believe? So the connections in the brain in that area are super, super strong and they've been there for a very long time. So they, that part of the brain actually has a huge level of influence over what we do. It's also the part of the brain that um, responds to uh, our need for survival. So it's the impulsive brain that says, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. That feels uncomfortable. No, 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 run in the opposite direction. Now, the rider of the elephant, 
represents our left prefrontal cortex in science speak. We could call this your smart brain. Your smart brain um, does all the smart things. It does problem solving, planning, decision making, and logical, rational thinking. So it's your smart brain that helps to turn your attention towards doing the things that are actually going to take your life in the direction that you want to go. Now, Imagine the size of the rider on the elephant compared to the elephant itself. And this is the disparity that you've got between the part of your brain that wants you to do the thing Mm. because it's where you want to go versus your (laughs) elephant that goes, no, thanks. I don't want any discomfort. So this metaphor represents how we need to train our elephant using the rider's decision-making to be able to approach the things that help our lives to go in the direction that we want to go rather than to continually avoid. So the way that we change the brain is by encouraging our elephant to step over a new bar that's slightly outside our comfort zone. But we make sure that we keep that bar low so that the elephant doesn't become overwhelmed and bolt in the opposite direction. And so Uh, Over and over again, what we're trying to do is introduce these new habits that are consistent with who you want to be and slowly train your elephant to step over this one tiny bar and then we raise it very slightly, get used to stepping over that bar Mm. and on and on we go until the life that you're living is much closer and more aligned to where you want to be. Mm, such a great uh, analogy concept it really sort yeah. of simplifies it doesn't it it's a great yeah um so now we've identified what self-sabotage actually is and then how that can hold us back and keep us stuck in these cycles um how do we start making the change like how do we start shifting from the unhelpful habits to habits that are really gonna um, help us make those changes and, and get to more fulfillment and freedom So I'm going to start this by saying this is not a plug. This is actually for people who genuinely want to make the change. Please read the book because we've only got a few minutes to discuss this here. And so I can talk about very small changes that you can make that will make a big difference. But this needs to be in the bigger context. Like I said earlier, the bigger context that covers the nuance for you and where you're at in your life. So take this where it fits, because we're talking about people who want to make all sorts of different changes, whether it be raising your prices in your business or whether it be starting health habits, you know, there's there's a huge um, continuum here of change. But where we start is by thinking about first, what is it that you value? So what is it that you want to step into to say, this is the life that I lived? What are the things that are deep down very important to you? Now, a really quick way to access what the values are behind the change that you want to make is to check in with your 80-year-old self. Now, let's say that you want to live with vitality, you want to be active with your kids, and yet you haven't exercised since before COVID um, because you just got out of the habit and all of a sudden life doesn't look the way it used to look when you were very active. Now, if you stop and ask your 80-year-old self why um, you should make this change, your 80-year-old self is probably going to pipe up and say something along the lines of, because I want to look back on us going swimming with our two-year-old or our seven-year-old at the beach instead of sitting on the sidelines because I didn't feel like I had enough um, fitness to be able to do that. 
So when you check in with your 80-year-old self, what you're actually doing is checking what kind of life is important to me that I create so that at the end of my days, you may not die at 80, we don't know, but you know what I mean. When we're looking um, in the future, when you look back on that, what do you want to say? What do you want to say you actually did that was important to you? So start with your values because it's so much more grounding and motivating than just looking at a goal itself. So a goal is something that um, can be ticked off. Really common one is to think about if we're talking about vitality versus say weight loss. So let's say you have a goal of losing weight or um, I don't know, fitting into some kind of outfit or something. That's something that can be ticked off. But it's kind of vacuous, right? There's no, there's no kind of um, connect anything to hang your hat on. There's no nothing to connect to with that particular goal. You could simply be doing that because there's media messaging that says that you need to be a certain size to be acceptable. By the way, I think that media messaging is absolute bullshit. But um, mm. I don't need to rant on that right now. If you then go to your eighty-year-old self and think, okay, well, why is this actually important? Then what? you access is on the other side of this goal is actually wanting to live with vitality, wanting to move freely, wanting to grab life with both hands and do anything you want to do on any particular day, because you've got the fitness and the vitality and the energy to do that. Mm -hmm. So identifying the values is the first thing to do. Um, If we're talking about my personal trainer, Um, If she was raising her prices, it's not just to make more money, right? The value behind that is to be able to provide for her family, to be able to um, live into a place of less stress because there's financial security available to her. So what we're talking about is this consistency of knowing she's got a roof over her head for herself and her family. That's a value. It's not a goal because values are ways of being. The second thing is, then to um, understand that you're not ever going to be ready. (laughs) This is the bad news, right? I mean, some people, some people, there are a small number of people that do actually respond well to a particular date, like an anniversary date or the 1st of January or or Monday or the start of a new month or something like that, right? Um, But those people tend to be fewer, than the people who for whom dates like that can just whiz by and then it's another reason to make yourself feel like crap because you didn't actually start on that date. So instead I'd pr- prefer you to understand that there's actually never a good time. Like there's never, there's never especially when you're a mum, there's never a, a time that's convenient, right, no. <laughs> to start this new change. So instead don't wait until you're ready because readiness is a feeling and feelings are fickle. Instead, prepare for the change by starting small. Just go for what psychologists call the science of small wins and pick one small change. Like you said before, the micro habits. What is the start of this bigger way of being? If we could break that down into a series of micro habits, what could you start with that is not overwhelming? So it might be something as simple as actually, I did it before I came on the call right now took my vitamins and that's actually on my to-do list. Would you believe it sits on my to-do list as a daily thing because otherwise I forget, honestly, it just goes out of my head and (laughs) it's sitting there. And I always look at my to-do list and go, what can I tick off really quickly? If I've only got a couple of minutes um, before I've got to do something that's longer, just go take my vitamins. 
So it's a, it's a micro habit that actually makes a big difference in the long term. So what we're talking about is not setting yourself up for failure by making it way too big to start off with. Mm, yeah, most definitely. I can definitely relate to that. And it's um, for me, I call it like just the, the one self promise a day, you know, just one promise to myself yeah. a day. And it can be something so small, but just starting small and, and keeping those promises daily and working yep. yourself up for me, I found so helpful and, and building that self-trust and yourself that, yeah. you know, you can do this, you've got this, yeah. like if I can do this today, I can do this the next day and, and, and gradually building up that way. So that's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. So um, I guess relating it a little bit more to motherhood and, and you being a, a mum yourself, um, do you have any tips or ways that you personally found helpful when it comes to making these sort of changes within motherhood? Um, I know you're a mother of a beautiful boy. And so I would love to know how you've managed to create those habits and keep on top of them whilst being a mother, mm-hmm. providing how busy and, and overwhelming it can be sometimes. I like going for um, maximum bang for buck. So <clears throat> if if and when I can, I will combine habits. So I have three dogs. Um, they're all seniors and only one of them is young enough and well enough to be walked um, regularly. And so I will often, part of my health habits is what I model to Bennett. I'm really, it's not so much, I mean, it is about me and my own longevity, but it's also very clearly about what I want him to see is that his parents go and consciously intentionally move in their lives. Mm -hmm. They don't just sit and do nothing. And so I will often combine habits. So I take Bennett with, there's a a park nearby with a really long walking slash riding track and he goes on his bike and I take the dog. So I'm walking the dog, modeling to Bennett who and what I want to be and what I want him to see and also getting my own exercise at the same time. And for me, that's a really workable way of doing it. I feel really motivated. Like I never get to the point where I was like, oh, I don't really want to go for a walk with Bennett and the dog. I actually really look forward to it. It feels like valuable time for all of us. And I love seeing him so happy. And of course, I love seeing my dog so happy. So for me, it's about actually let me clarify this I'm not saying go and find three habits and do them all at once Mm. what I am saying is when you can make it work sometimes being able to combine things means that a I'm not doing all three of those things separately and adding more things to my plate Mm. but it means that I'm I am combining emotional states so I feel proud of myself for actually going for a walk I feel really connected with Bennett because I'm being who I want to be while we're in that space together. Um, And it's fun. I I don't, I often do things because I like the personal growth element or I like the mental stimulation, but I don't actually go out and do things just for the sake of doing them very often. And that's one of the times that I do. And so I really enjoy the, we don't have anywhere to be. We're not rushing this. You can ride for as long as you want. Yes, I'll push you on the swing. You know, it's <laughs> it's just this time where it's our time together. And so all of those things combined mean that that habit actually is so reinforcing that it's really easy for me to do regularly on um, and not walk away from it and not want to avoid it. 
So what I would encourage um, mums to do is to find a habit where they actually feel like um, it's incredibly reinforcing because of what you get out of it. Mm. Um, And that doesn't mean that, you know, doesn't mean that it's not something else for you to do because it might be like there might be an extra bit of extra time there, but, you know, it's still worth it. Yeah, 100%. So beautiful. Such a beautiful way um, to look at it and, and emotionally motivating, like you just said. I absolutely love that. Thank you just so much for taking the time to um, be with us today and and everything that you are putting out through your writing and your mentoring. And it's amazing to see someone provide such valuable resources for people to really start living um, a, a happy and, and fulfilling life that everyone deserves um so thank you so much Beck. thanks for having me jade for all of our listeners if you would also like to follow Beck's journey and would like to grab your own copy of her incredible book please make sure to head on over and, and show some love to her socials and um, Beck, can you let us know how can uh, your listeners find you uh, you can pop over to my website, rebeccaray.com.au, and I'm on the socials as at Dr. Rebecca Ray, but I'm mainly mainly on Instagram. When I say socials, I'm mainly at Instagram because that seems to be where most of my people are. Mm, I love your Instagram. I love your little posts. Great daily Thank motivation. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beck. Thanks for having me. Mamas, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from the Mother Hair podcast, please make sure to spread the love, like and subscribe so you can keep up to date on all our latest episodes and interviews. You can also head on over via the link in the episode bio to the Mother Hair Instagram community for your weekly dose of inspiration, practical tools and talks. You can also find free resources, the Mother Hair blog and courses via my website link in the bio. See you all soon.